so honored to be here again this morning. Wow, two Sundays in a row. You know, I never take this lightly. Uh, I'm just, uh, I have a, a different way of approaching and teaching the Word than Micah does, uh, but I, I enjoy him so much. I know many people are probably thinking, when's Micah coming back? That's why I'm actually here is to hear him. He's coming back next week. But I love his style of teaching and the way that he's able to bring the word in. I, I'm serious. Sometimes I sit there and I go, how did he do that? How did he, how did he get that? Really? I, I, I wish I could teach like that, but I got to stick with what I know. So I'm going to be... I'm going to be what God made me this morning, but thank you, Pastor Micah, Pastor Melissa, uh, love you both so much, my son and uh, my daughter-in-law, but also our pa my pastor as well as yours. All right, we're going to do just about five minutes of review of last week. I mean, if you know faith comes by hearing, not by having heard. Yeah, when we start the review, yeah, I heard that last week. Well, faith comes by hearing, so let's hear a little bit from last week and do a review. First of all, the text for this series is Proverbs 18, 21. The New King James says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. But we've been looking at it from the Message Bible that says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit, and who chooses? We do. We choose what our words are going to produce in our life. And then we looked at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, which is our only offensive weapon. All of the other armor of God is all defensive against the flaming arrows or the fiery darts, one translation says, of the wicked one coming at us. So we've got all this defensive uh, mechanism, defensive armor, but then we have an offensive weapon to go after the enemy and slice his head off. How many of you like that? And that is the Word of God that we use as an offensive weapon. Uh, we looked at Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God used the word, he used his spoken word to create the solution, to, solutions, plural, to the problems that he saw. The earth was without form, void, desolate, and he spoke to them. He spoke to the firmament. He spoke to the light. He spoke to the water. He spoke to the plants, spoke to the stars, spoke to the fish, spoke to creating land animals. He created all of this with his word. And I want to prophesy over you and tell you today that you may have uh, a real mess in your life, or you may have one area of your life that seems to be a mess. But I want to declare to you that the Spirit of God is hovering over that darkness. He's hovering over the mess in your life. Your life might be really great except for this one area. Why is this one area a mess? I'm telling you that the Spirit of God is hovering right there just like he was over the darkness of the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering waiting for God to say, let there be. And when God said, let there be, the Holy Spirit went into action. The Holy Spirit's hovering over your life waiting for you to say, let there be healing. Let there be love in my marriage. Let there be. And when you speak that word, then the Holy Spirit goes into operation to create what you're speaking. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness so that they may 
rule. So this is all the stuff we talked about last week. And if you did, weren't here or didn't get that, be sure and uh, go to our YouTube channel and check that out. So that we could rule, and we rule and reign by the words that we speak. We also looked at Mark chapter 11, uh, verses 12 through 14, and verse 20. It says, um, uh, oh, I was telling that. Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So, I hope after last week's message, you can at least say, based on that scripture, I believe that what I say will be done. I believe that what I say will come to pass. This is where spiritual warfare actually begins, not in our circumstances, but in our mind and in our words. Now, the Bible describes in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible describes a spiritual warfare that goes on in our minds. And so what I've prayed, what I've spent a lot of time praying over this message is that there will be an impartation of the Spirit, that this won't just be information that we're sitting uh, and listening to, maybe writing down, but there'll be an impartation of the Spirit because there's a warfare that goes on anytime you read verses like this, Mark, like Mark 11, 22, that talks about believing that what you say will come to pass. Because there are many of us sitting in this room today who are thinking, well, I, I, that's, I see it in the Bible, and that sounds good, and it's making great preaching material for Pastor Steve, but I don't really believe, honestly, that what I say is going to actually come to pass. You know, uh, I asked last week if how many of you had seen the Jesus Revolution. Did anybody see the Jesus Revolution movie? You really should see that uh, it's a really stirring story, but it's about the, about the hippie movement of, uh, um, about the Jesus people movement, hippies getting saved back in the late 60s and early 70s. And that's our story, mining Connie's story. We gave our life to Christ uh, on the back end of that in 1973. We were hippies. Far out, can you dig it? We, we, I, I, I know you can't imagine me with hair this long and a great big beard and, and uh, in bell-bottom blue jeans and no shoes and a T-shirt going to church like that. I know you can't imagine that, but that, that was us and that was our life. And when we gave our lives to Christ, it was, you know, we read the Bible from a completely different viewpoint. We read the Bible. I read the whole New Testament through in two weeks. Now, I'd been raised in church ever since I was a kid. I was raised in church, so church wasn't new to me. But when I gave my life to Christ, uh, when I was in college, it was, a, it was a whole new thing, and the Holy Spirit illuminated the Bible to me. And all of us, we, you know what? We thought this was true. And so we read it, and it said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. So we take our Bible out on the street, and we preach. We talk to people about Jesus. We, we read about the authority that God gave us. Uh, Behold, I give you power over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will by any means hurt you. You know what? We believed that. 
There was, you know, you will lay, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We believe this stuff. And so we used to do that. I remember one time Connie twisted her, her, um, twisted her uh, wrist and it started to really hurt. It started to swell up. And she said, honey, pray for me. So I grabbed her wrist. I grabbed it in my hand and I started speaking to it in the name of Jesus. And she went, ow, that hurts. Ow, ow, ow. How? That doesn't hurt anymore. And the swelling just, just went down. See, we believed this stuff would actually happen. I know, I know some years ago I already told this story uh, here, but I'm going to tell it again for, for the new people. But uh, when, when Connie was pregnant with Micah, uh, and we were, we were hippies, we lived in Chattanooga, and uh, back then there was no such thing as prepared childbirth or natural childbirth. Only the hippies and the weirdos did that. Uh, and you couldn't go to the hospital. They're not letting the husband in the delivery room or anything like baby, and then they would come out and say, Mr. Corona, it's a boy. And then uh, in about half an hour, you can come up and see the baby and the mom. And you didn't know what went on. That's how birth was done uh, and you know, Connie says they would take you up there, you'd go through labor and everything, and then when it was time to deliver the baby, they would knock you out, so you didn't know what happened until the baby was born. Um, so, but we, were, we took what was back then was called natural childbirth classes, and that was where the husband assisted in the birth and uh, taught you to have uh, childbirth without any medication. And uh, back then, only weird people did that, but we were prepared to do that. And then uh, after college, Connie was still pregnant, we moved to uh, Johnson City, Tennessee, where there wasn't, that was in Chattanooga where we took this training. So in Johnson City, there, there wasn't any place like that. So Connie contacted all these doctors. I don't know how many co doctors she contacted till she finally found one who said, okay, if you want to have a baby and you don't want to have any medication, you want to do this natural childbirth deal, that's, that's, up, you, that's up to you. We'll do it but I'm not doing it at your house. You're coming to the hospital and your husband cannot come in the delivery room. I don't want to have to deal with him passed out in addition to dealing with you. So when it came time to have Micah, we went to the hospital and I'm down in the waiting room with her mom and Connie is in the labor room. And what I don't know is that the labor, they are slammed. They got so many women in there in this. Back then, you didn't have labor and delivery in the same room. They had a labor room separated by curtains. You had all these women in there. And then when you were ready to deliver, they would take you to the delivery room. So the labor room, they are slammed. They're overrun with women. And so the doctor uh, is kind of in a panic. And he said to one of the nurses, pointing to Connie, he said, get this lady's husband up here because he's at least had some kind of natural childbirth training and he might be able to help with her and get her, take care of her so we can take care of everybody else. So uh, in the meantime, I'm down in the labor room, I mean down in the waiting room and I tell her mom, I'm going upstairs and just knock on the door to the labor room and beg my way in to see Connie, just for, I just want to see her for a minute. So just let me see her for a minute. So I head upstairs prepared to do that. 
In the meantime, the nurse calls down to the waiting room, and Connie's mom tells the nurse, oh, he's on his way up already. So when I get to the doors of the labor room, I stopped, and I prayed, and I said, God, if there's any way, please make a way. Make a way for me to be able to get in and see Connie. We'd only been Christians for a year, less than a year. But I thought this stuff worked. So I just prayed, God, if there's any way, make a way for me to be able to get in and see Connie. So I knocked on the door. The nurse opens the door, and the first words out of her mouth are, oh, you must be Mr. Corona. Come on in. <laughs> I thought, wow, this, this prayer stuff works, man. This is, this is, this is great. Who could, who could not believe that? But listen, we just, we believe that when we prayed and when we spoke the word and we commanded things to happen, we just believed that they happened because that's what the Bible said. We just believe that stuff. But then I know what happened. I can't tell you exactly when, but I can tell you what happens to us. What happens is we pray for something, we speak something, we believe uh, what Steve Corona told us. We believe uh, Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of my tongue. We believe that uh, if I believe that what I say will come to pass, I will have whatever I say. And then we speak it, we do it, and it doesn't happen. And then we speak it again in a different situation and it doesn't happen. And then we pray for this, and it doesn't happen. And then disappointment and discouragement starts to set in. And this is, I'm telling you, this has happened to all of us. This happened to me. I've prayed for things. They didn't happen. I've prayed for people who didn't get well. I've spoken things that I thought, you know, because I believe in the power of my words. I believe what the Bible says that if I speak to this mountain and command it to be removed and cast into the sea, and I don't doubt in my heart, but I believe that what I say will come to pass, I will have whatever I say. I believe that, and yet there are things that I have spoken that didn't happen. There's always a reason. There's not enough time. We've taught on that before. There's always a reason why. Sometimes you find out later why. But this messes with our belief system. And this, this is where weird doctrines come from. This is where weird stuff, I mean, there are people that teach that uh, the age of miracles has passed and God's not healing anymore. You know where that came from? I can tell you where it didn't come from. It's not in here. It's not in here. It is somebody prayed for somebody to get well and they didn't. And they prayed for somebody else to get well and they didn't. And that's when they decided, oh, well, then that must then the Bible must not mean this. It must mean something else. Did you know you can take the Bible and cause it to say anything you want it, to, want it to say? The Bible says that Judas went out into a garden and hanged himself. The Bible also says, go ye therefore and do likewise. And so we can, you, can, you can pick scriptures out and you can get the Bible to say whatever you wanted to say. And we do that with this when it comes to speaking the word of God and seeing it come to pass when it doesn't happen the way we thought it would. And you know, this 
This happened to Jesus as well in Mark chapter 6. I don't know if this is on the screen or not. Mark chapter, is anything on the screen? Yeah. In Mark chapter 6 I don't think is on the screen. But let me tell you, in Mark chapter 6 is where Jesus goes to his hometown. And the Bible says that he could not do miracles there. I've read that scripture maybe a thousand times, and I'm always fascinated every time I read it. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It doesn't say Jesus looked at the people and went, you know what, I don't think I'm going to do anything here. It says he could not do many miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick folks and heal them, the Bible says. So what that means is that Jesus was trying. Laid his hands on this person, they were healed. Laid his hands on this person, Nothing happened. Can you, that messes with my brain. It messes with my heart. It messes with my theology. So Jesus goes to the next person, lays hands on them. Nothing happens. And the next person, and the next person, and then about 10 people down, somebody gets healed. And it says a few of them got healed, but not everybody got healed. Jesus experienced the same thing that we experience. When we speak the word and it doesn't happen, we don't always. Now, it tells us in that text why it didn't happen. It says because of the people's unbelief. But oftentimes in our situation, we don't know why it didn't happen. But you know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't change his theology. He didn't change his belief system. He didn't even change his practice. But rather, he went ahead and continued to minister to to people, continued to, uh, uh, continued to lay hands on people. In fact, that's in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. But then in verse 7, right after that, it says, He gave his disciples power and sent them out to heal the sick and cast out demons. The very next verse, after he couldn't do it. But he gave power to his disciples, and his disciples went out and did it. Then in verse 34 of the same chapter, he feeds 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and five loaves and two fish. Then the same chapter, verse 48, he walks on water. Then the same chapter, verse 56, it says, everybody who touched him was healed. All these things are in the same chapter right after the failure of people to get healed. So Jesus doesn't have the same crisis that we have when we pray and something doesn't happen or we speak the word and something doesn't happen. He doesn't go into crisis mode when things don't go as expected. And yes, that happened to him. Yes, there were things that he, he wouldn't have laid hands on people. He, he would have gone into this town and just said, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to put myself in that position of praying for people because nothing's going to happen. It says he couldn't. He tried. He couldn't because of the people's unbelief. And so this is what happens to us. Discouragement sets in. Disappointment sets in. And we stop doing it. We stop praying. We stop speaking the word. We stop speaking words of faith, God's word, to see his word come to pass in our life. We stop seeing it because we don't want to continue to experience the disappointment and the frustration. We've all had a situation in the past. I'm not going to ask for a raise of, uh, 
for you to raise your hand because we've all had situations in the past where it didn't happen. Don't allow analysis paralysis to set in on you. Stand on the word, speak the word, and believe God that your words will come to pass. Say, my words will come to pass. Now, last week I told you I was going to talk with you about how the power of our words actually works. In James chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body Look at ships. Also, they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Now, uh, you've got that harness and bit. Thank you to uh, Danny and Andrea Young, who have a horse farm, who let me use this. This is a horse bridle and a horse bit right here. And... This horse bridle and horse bit weighs one one-thousandth of the horse's total weight. Yet its primary function is to set the direction in with that horse. And without the bit held in place by the bridle, this is the bit, this is the bridle, and without this bit held in place by the bridle and using it to control the horse, this horse will be completely out of control. You can get the horse to go, you just can't control where it's going to grow and the, to go. And then the text also mentions a ship's rudder. A ship's rudder is less than 1% of the total ship's weight, and yet the rudder determines the direction of that ship. And without the rudder controlled by the wheel and using it to control the ship, that ship will be out of control. And in both of these situations, both of these instances, speed doesn't matter. We live in a society where everybody is trying so hard to go so fast and so hard after what we want or what we think we deserve or what we think we need or even what we think the Bible says that we should have. But something that's, that's more important even than the speed is the direction that you're going. And your tongue, is the weight of your tongue is minuscule compared to your total weight. For some of us, that's a greater, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> what direction is your life going in? Unless you're using your words to control it, it's out of control. Unless you're using your words to control it, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. We'll just let this horse go wherever it wants to. You could end up out in the middle of Capitol Boulevard in front of a speeding truck. I mean, where, could, where would you end up if you don't control where it's going? Where's the direction that your marriage is going in? I'm not asking you how fast your marriage is getting there. I'm asking you, what direction is it going? What direction are your kids going? What direction is your health going? What direction are your finances going? And today, we're talking about direction. I know we use the term power of your words, the power of your words. And yes, there is power in our words, but today, we want to talk about the direction of our life, the direction of our business, the direction of our families. And that's controlled by our words. Remember, this is not a magic or quick fix 
but you create the environment and the direction of your life with your words. Now, there's another possibility in your life. Your life or your area of life isn't out of control, but it's headed in the wrong direction. Ephesians chapter 6, 17 tells us that our offensive weapon is the word of God in our mouth. Just remember that the enemy's offensive weapon is his word in our mouth. Satan is trying to get us to speak his reality into our life. The devil's doing this to me. The devil's doing that to me. The, the devil is probably not doing anything to you. He's just trying to get you to think and speak what he wants, and then you're creating the reality of it with your own words. Why is my life so messed up, or why is my life so messed up in this one area? See, it looks like this. God's word in our mouth equals God's direction. No words in our mouth equals no direction. The enemy's words in your mouth equal the wrong direction. That's good. And so my question is, what direction is your life headed? Is it headed in God's direction? No direction, no particular direction, or in the direction of the enemy. This is all determined by our words. Remember Proverbs 18, 21, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. And who chooses? Who chooses? We do. Now, how do I set the direction of the areas of my life with God's word? You find yourself and your situation in the Bible. I love in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus gets up in the synagogue to read and he finds the scroll uh, in the scroll of Isaiah. He finds a passage and he reads this to everybody. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or of the Lord's favor. And when Jesus proclaimed this, the people actually became angry and tried to throw him off a cliff. Do you know not everybody is going to be excited that you have direction in your life, <laughs> that you know exactly where you're going, exactly what God's called you to do? Did you know that there are people that will oppose you? Who do you think you are? I think that as we sung in that song, I know that line makes us uncomfortable, Kendall, but thank you for singing it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. The Bible says you are. And so I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I have the direction of God, and I speak the direction of God, and I'm going in the direction that God has set for my life. In Luke chapter 5, verse 8, Peter falls down at Jesus' knees and says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus says to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Peter asked Jesus to leave him, to leave his presence because he's so sinful. Jesus, however, sees something else in Peter and says, from now on, you'll be a fisher of men. Notice Jesus didn't speak what he saw in Peter. He spoke what he saw in Peter. He didn't speak what he saw in Peter with his natural eyes. I'm sure when he told Peter... Uh, from now on, you're going to catch men. I'm sure Andrew and Nathaniel looked at each other and said, wow, Peter is such an odd I can't see Peter doing, doing anything spiritual. But Jesus saw him. 
Jesus saw Peter with his spiritual eyes rather than his natural eyes, and he spoke what he saw in Peter with his spiritual eyes. Not that Peter would just immediately snap out of his issues. In fact, Peter had a lot of issues to work through all through the Gospels. My question is, what are we saying not only about ourselves, but about the people around us? Are we part of their solution or part of their problem? And I love John chapter 1, verse 42. I'll close with this. Jesus took one look up and he said to, to, to Peter, who at that time was called Simon. He said, you're John's son, Simon. From now on, your name is Cephas or Peter, which means rock. When you met Peter, this would be the last thing that you would think about him, the last words that you would use to describe him. Describe him. But Jesus now has changed his name to rock solid. You are no longer going to be just tossed back and forth, but now, from now on, your name is going to be rock solid. Every time Peter says his name, he's declaring this now over himself. Hey, what's your name? I'm Peter. I'm rock solid. Every time somebody calls to Peter or refers to him, hey, rock solid. Amen. Come here, rock solid. Everybody is referring to Peter that way. What are you saying about yourself? What are you calling yourself? Oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, man, I can't do anything right. And I could go on and on. But you, you understand what I'm saying, don't you? You're getting this? What are you saying over yourself? What are you allowing other people to say over you? I'm going to let that sit there. What are you allowing other people to say over you? It's okay to say, uh, excuse me, don't say that, please. Be careful the cute names that you give to your kids. I'm serious. I'm not going to, I hear some of them around the church, so I'm not going to say any less to anybody think I'm, sing with somebody out. Be careful the cute names you make up for your kids because they're going to grow into those. You are a mighty woman of God, a mighty man of God. What are you saying over your kids? What are you saying over your mate? The books that we uh, gave out last week, are you enjoying those? Or are they helping you at all? Uh, so the book that we gave out last week, in the very back, the very back chapter is actually an arsenal. It's to help you develop an arsenal of weapons to use against the enemy and also to set the direction of your life. There are scriptures there, and it tells you exactly what to say, shows you what to say. Use that to determine the direction of your life, and let's get on track with God. Amen? Amen. Everybody stand with me, please.